Why are human beings so worth giving attention to? Why should we have such detailed, articulate, precise conversations about human beings? What's so special about human beings? Human beings are made in the image of God. No other created being or thing is created in the image of God. God reserved that for mankind for reasons that he understands. Welcome to Life in Christ. I'm Brent Nelson, one of the elders here at The Landing, and I have the privilege of serving on the pastoral staff. Life in Christ is a podcast in which we dwell upon the truths of God's Word in order that the Word of God and its truth might create life in us. In Deuteronomy 32, 47, the Word of God says, Moses, to the people of Israel in the Torah, this word I speak to you is no idle trifle, but it is in fact your life. So Life in Christ is a podcast where the Word of God is center and featured in order that we might share it with you in such a way that your and our life in Christ might increase. We hope you're listening at a moment when you might want to engage the conversation with us on Christian ethics. Our theme and topics over these recent and current episodes is all around the book Christian Ethics by Wayne Grudem. Four of our church elders have taken up the task of reading through chapters of that excellent book and teaching those chapters to our adult Sunday school class here at the landing every Sunday morning. And in order to expand the wider listenership and group of people interacting with that content, we have put them into podcast form. Today with me is Paul Anderson. Paul, thank you for being a part of this conversation. It's a pleasure to be back. It's good you, to be here, Brent. It is a pleasure, and you're bringing content that you just presented to our adult Sunday school class on the theme Broadly Christian ethics, but specifically ethnic harmony. That's a phrase I like to use, yeah. ethnic, ethnic harmony. Ethnic harmony is a good way to describe it, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. It really addresses what our culture sees as racial discrimination, but our goal and our aim really under the mandate of, of preaching the gospel is to foster ethnic harmony. That's why I like that phrase, ethnic harmony. It seems to call us back to God's plan and the gospel and the good voice we want to have in this important discussion about the way human beings of different ethnicities can get along. Now, Brent, we'll see in what we're going to talk about how the world continues to try to pull us away from that, and God's Word says, no, come back. Well, how did you begin? I mean, I was in on that class, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. It's one of those sessions that just zipped right by. It went so fast. There's so many other questions that could be discussed. We won't even get to all of them in this episode and the next. But what's important, and you've just alluded to it, is to set our feet firmly on the Word and on the solid footing of God's Word. Where did you begin? Yeah, well, we've gone over in adult Sunday school class in the past much about the infallibility of God's Word, how God speaks, how God makes Himself known. He's not hiding Himself from us in many ways. That's right. But... One of the things that the world does to us is causes confusion and distractions for us. So I started by just talking about some current polling that's gone on by Pew Research, by Barna, by others like that. And it tells a story that over the last four or five years, ethnic harmony is not winning the race in the land we live in. For example, perceptions of discrimination between, I'll say, ethnic groups but they would say racial groups, is increasing. There's a large percent of people who say changes must occur to assure equal rights. Mm -hmm. There are people 
a significant greater percentage of inequality in non-white ethnic groups that's been identified. It goes on and on and on, even to the point of in some of our larger cities, people who happen to be not of a white ethnicity, they're afraid to use public transportation. Mm. One comment was made that Asian Americans will avoid almost 100% use of public transportation in New York City. How sad is that? And the point is, that's where the world has brought us. Well, praise God, we're at a position where we say, we know what God has said. We know where that truth lies. We know where we can find it. But then I'm going to throw in a little bad news here too. So I read something from Ligonier Ministries. Excellent, excellent ministry, source. And they do, they do a state of theology survey, I think annually. And the most recent one, it was shocking, they reported that 26% of professing U.S. evangelicals, professing, keyword U.S. evangelicals, so weigh that as you need, believe that the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not true. One out of four, 26%, roughly one out of four. Do not believe the Bible is yeah, absolute truth. of evangelical Christians. Yeah. Even more shocking to me, in 2020, three years ago, that number was 15%. So in three years, it's gone from 15% embracing the fact that the Bible is not literally true to 26% of evangelical Christians. How can that be? How can that be? We've got the... We've got the Word of God. We've got the infallible Word of God in front of us. He tells us His Word. We know all about Him and His Word. And so that brings us back to, the, to Christian ethics. Brings us back and says, what's the goal of Christian ethics? The goal of Christian ethics, as has been described in the book we're going through, is what does God think about this? And what does He express to us about this that we need to pick up and apply in our lives and spread to the world around us, which, of course, leads to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's where we go with it. Well, many believers will introduce the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as the answer for this lack of ethnic harmony, ethnic disharmony. But not everyone applies the gospel in the same way. So we'll have to be a bit more precise as to what we mean by applying the gospel to achieve ethnic harmony a little bit further along in our conversation. But the beginning place is so very helpful. God doesn't separate or in assessments of different values, the human beings that he's made. He calls all human beings good. Correct. And he says all human beings are made in his image. Yeah, exactly. So we can look at God's word, and he tells us early on in Deuteronomy that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. And then he goes on to say just a little bit later, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I love the story where that's picked up in the New Testament. Sure, yeah. I love the story about the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to obtain eternal life? Mm-hmm. We can we could have spend a whole podcast on talking about what his motives might have been. Sure. Right. What his motives are. Yeah. But it's, a, it's an intriguing question. What do I have to do to, to obtain eternal life? And Jesus says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he says, the rich young ruler says, you shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He got it right. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. The rich young Euler would have been wise to leave it there. He should probably. have walked away. Yeah. He should have walked away. He said, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, and walked away. But, yep. but he, uh, he pushed it a little bit. He went on to say, who's my neighbor? 
And so Jesus took the opportunity to tell a, a parable, which he was masterfully done, about the uh, good Samaritan who took care of the, the man who was beaten and robbed, and how a priest and a Levite went by and they didn't help. Good Samaritan came by to help the Jewish person who was injured. Of significance is that back in, in that time in, in history, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They hated each other. They had no time for each other. But the Samaritan stopped and did what he was supposed to do, care for his neighbor, care for the one created in God's image, care for the one that God cares about as much as he cares about for you or me or anybody else. And it was probably quite shocking that it was the Samaritan who did the took the initiative. And oh, caring. yeah, that should have been the Levite. That should have been the priest. That should have been the yeah. uh, well-polished people. Right. Yeah. Well, Paul the Apostle says in Colossians 3.11, confirming exactly what you're sharing with us from God's Word, Paul says, Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. What a powerful summary of the humanity God has given to those whom He has created in His image, and how unhealthy and dangerous it is to be divided against each other. Absolutely. The Bible, we can say it loud and clear, the Bible provides no basis for favor or discriminate against any groups of people based on how they present themselves or what they look like. That's a wonderful statement, and it's absolutely true. But sadly, and we may not need to catalog these, but sadly there are instances of believers who say they believe in the truth of God's Word but wouldn't agree with that because they're using the Bible in some ways to try to preserve special favor for their tribe, for their economic lifestyle, for their chosen path, for their personal or corporate history, or for their position of influence that they can't imagine giving up. I'll try not to use this phrase more than two or three times <laughs> during this podcast, but Grudem would quickly point to that and say, they sacrifice all of the good that God has for them there on the altar of self-appeasement. Well, Boy, so that blows me away when I think about that. It does me too. The altar of self-appeasement. You're welcome to share it often. <laughs> how, how, how dangerously close do we come to that in yes. so many things in our lives? Absolutely. You know? It's convicting yeah. and a warning for us. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that we then move forward to talk about is the idea of all humans having a similar ancestry. The Bible goes to great lengths, doesn't it, to show human ancestry. In fact, one could argue the very content of the book of Genesis, the term Genesis, related to the term genos, which is where families come from. And you see that all the way through from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Isaac and Jacob and so on. That's the very content, that's the very substance of the book of Genesis and its implications laid out for the people of Israel in the rest of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So one could say that speaking about the common ancestry all human beings have is a big part of the very content of Scripture and therefore goes a long way to helping answer how we can recognize others, even of different ethnicity, as having a common genetic ancestry. When I think of that, Brent, I think of two specific lines of demarcation, might be the poor choice of words there, but two lines of demarcation where God makes that really clear. He created Adam, he created Eve, and the Bible says the man, that's Adam, right. called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Absolutely. Period. Yeah, absolutely. 
then when man goofed things up and God destroyed the earth and there was that realignment of mankind regarding when the human race was reestablished on earth after the flood of Noah, the Bible tells us the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. These were the three sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. So there's two points there, Adam and Eve and the sons of Noah. That's where people came from, period. That's what the Bible says. Some will argue and say, well, I don't know this or that, but that's what God says. That's what God has told us, just as you so eloquently articulated a minute ago about what he laid out in the first five books of the Bible and what we base our understanding of who he is on. Well, then that leads us to a phrase we mention often here on the podcast. We talk a lot about it with regard to Christian ethics. We've already mentioned it in conversation. It's worth shining a light on it, as it were. Why are human beings so worth giving attention to? Why should we have such detailed, articulate, precise conversations about human beings? What's so special about human beings? Human beings are made in the image of God. No other created being or thing is created in the image of God. God reserved that for mankind for reasons that he understands. As valuable as dolphins and quasars and every other aspect of, a, of God's glorious creation are, the apex of his creation is human beings because they're made in his image. To offend another human being, no matter whether they deserve it or not, is ultimately an affront against the living God who created him or her. Sobering. Life-giving, actually. Very sobering, yeah. And God himself makes it so clear again in the first book of the Bible, he made man in his image. We see it in Genesis 1, Genesis 9. We see it again in the New Testament in James 3 where we're told people are made in the likeness of God. Likeness and images. Same same idea, that's right. Yep. Well, then that leads to, as you helped us so clearly see as you presented this, that leads to a way of relating to one another. If you're made in the image of God, and I'm made in the image of God, and even someone I have strong disagreement is made in the image of God, how do I relate to them? Great question. Great question. And this is, this is where it's easy to, to pivot real quickly, and there's many, many one another verses in the Bible. But ones that jumped out at me were, honor everyone. Okay. Everyone? Like every honor everyone? Honor everyone. Another one is, show perfect courtesy towards all people. Another one, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And the Bible goes on to say about partiality, if you show partiality, (laughs) you're committing sin. So Christians should be in the lead in this question. Oh, Christians should be out in the lead in this question. Believers in Jesus Christ should never demonstrate any behavior that would show anything other than complete understanding and love for the man or woman next to him. Including my enemy. Yeah. Because the honor everyone, 1 Peter 2.17, very shortly, includes the emperor, mm-hmm. Nero, at that time. Right. One of the most despicable political leaders in the history of the human condition. There might seem like an inability emotionally inside the listener right now. If you're listening, you might say, how in the world can I honor a dishonorable leader? How in the world can I honor a dishonorable person? One of the answers the scriptures would give is that you can honor them as a person while clearly despising sin in them and commending them over to God insofar as God may justly despise them and their sin for an eternity. He alone has the righteousness and the ability to do that. 
I recognize my inability to fully know everything there is to know about that person. Whatever judgments I make, my judgments are always limited and therefore flawed. I just simply don't have infinite knowledge. Leading me to the point of saying I can fully honor presidents, those of another political persuasion, those of another religious persuasion. I can honor them while I fiercely and resolutely, even to my death, disagree with them in their positions. It's interesting to me that Christians alone, lovers of the Word of God, those seeking to follow it as the Holy Spirit enables, are the ones who have the capacity to bring about a calm, tolerant, respectful, even civil conversation about these matters. Almost every other worldview erupts into vitriol and violence. It's Christ alone who sets the table for a quiet conversation with someone with whom you may have very strong disagreements. Yeah. Yeah. And one takeaway right now, early on in the discussion here, I think as believers, we need to be looking for those opportunities. We need to be allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us so we deliver that unifying word from the Lord. That's a good word. How does heaven figure in to this whole question of ethnic harmony? There's probably many answers to that question, but some of what you presented was so very helpful. I love this part of the discussion. All believers of every background will be united in heaven. And there's a scripture from Revelation that I, I just I want to read. Picture this with me. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. When I think of that picture and I think of the people around me, anytime I'm together with other believers on Sunday morning or wherever it might be, mm-hmm. I think, thank you, Father. You know, thank you. Make this group bigger. Make it make it more culturally diverse. Make Amen. it make it you know it, more Lord. more like it's going to be in heaven. That's right. I mean, that's going to be great. That's going to be wonderful. Why would we not want to somehow ask our Father to graciously and benevolently pour that out on us now. That your will be done on earth yeah, as it is in heaven. Yeah. So it won't all be English, but it'll be Amharic, and it'll be Swahili, and it'll be French, and it'll be Spanish, and it'll be Greek and Hebrew, and it'll be Arabic, and it'll be languages of every sort and kind. And everybody knows and understands that everybody's saying together, salvation belongs to our God. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. Well, from the sublime and the celestial down to the specific and the atomic, as it were, down to the very genetics of our human condition and our human creation, science isn't opposed to these things, is it? No. Science is not our enemy in this pursuit of ethnic harmony. It absolutely is not. So often we hear people raise the, the position, just wait, science will prove that this isn't true. But you know what? Science continually provides evidence that what God has said is true. And we could go to any line of science about that. We're not going to today, but we could talk about anything from archaeology, which may not be science, but archaeology to (laughs) to any type of biology, to chemistry. It all points to the fact that what God has spoken is true. Right. That's right. It absolutely does. What information have you gleaned, and with Grudem's help, combined together in your thinking with regard to how science can speak to the unity we share with all human beings. I'm thankful for Gruden. 
my biology training from, I won't say how many years ago, but at, <laughs> at college seems to have eluded me a bit. I remember this as I go over it with looking at Wayne Grudem stuff, but our genome, our entire set of DNA is generally accepted by science as being 99% plus common in all human beings. 99% plus. Some will say, well, maybe it's 97.6 or 98, whatever. But we're talking about we are nearly identical. And where differences exist, they're not limited just to one particular ethnic group. So if, if some people that I'm biologically closely related to have this particular difference, then odds are real good that another group of people someplace else on the face of the earth have the same difference. Added to that, in some of the research I've done, and I don't have the specifics on hand here, but I do know the conclusion quite confidently that those differences that we perceive outwardly, that you kind of see quickly when you see someone, those outward features that appear very different than those of my ethnic heritage, comprise less than four one-hundredths of a percentage point of our human DNA. The outward appearance, those features which determine pigment of skin, that sort of thing, are of the smallest measurement of our genetic makeup. So it's really, really a confusion of the deepest order, of the first order, to think that I and they are of a completely different race. Absolutely. When in fact there's one human race and the differences that we've assumed and even labeled with white and yellow and red and black is actually profoundly counterproductive to the discussion because it begins by assuming a vast chasm between they and me that doesn't exist actually. Not theologically and not scientifically. So no wonder it's quite hard, making those assumptions to begin with, to create bridges between the two. The bridges always seem to be artificial and forced and even a bit insulting, if I could be explicit. Those bridges, those attempts to try to create a conversation between me and the person who feels like they're on the other side of the uh, racial world, it almost feels like I'm acting in a condescending way, or they're acting in a condescending way, or we're talking past each other when, in fact, the image of God that we both share together unites us before the Holy God. The need for Christ unites us. The hope that the gospel might transform our lives from death to life unites us. And now you're saying genetically, we're almost the same. The differences are minuscule. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. The same things that make us so similar, that God has made so similar in each one of us. That little bit that isn't is what the enemy wants us to capitalize, wants us to celebrate even, so that we can say, there's conflict here, there's, there's difficulty here. We don't like people because of this or that. And that, that's the enemy's work. Yes, it is. And you can always see that's true because the outcome is never nearly as idyllic as anybody purports it to be. It never turns out well. From a human standpoint, we go on and on and on trying this method, that method, this solution, that solution, this improvement, that improvement, and we don't get there. Well, the answer is the gospel, isn't it? Amen. That's Ephesians right. 2 makes it plain that the wall of division and hostility that exists between us is torn down by the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's one of the most important ways the gospel impacts the ethnic harmony question. Well, we've talked richly and for a good long time. Thank you, Paul, so much for your labors, your research, your insight, your wisdom, your leadership in this. Thank you for consulting and bringing to light Grudem's footwork that he's done and bringing this to the body of Christ here at the landing, as well as to those who might be listening right now. I'm sure they're helped and edified, and so I thank you. Would you end our time with a word of prayer? I would. Father, we come before you, the one who created us, the one who created us in your image, the one who created us to serve you and bring you honor and glory in everything we do. You looked at the future of humans and you said, they're made in my image. The ones you looked at and said, I will accomplish what I must accomplish through them. We thank you that one day, none of what we see right now will make any difference. We'll all be in your presence, those of us who trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, will stand in front of the throne and worship regardless of where or what spot of the earth we came from. Thank you for that, Father. I pray that for everyone listening to this podcast, for each one of us in this room, that we would become more and more increasingly aware of your deep love for every person. Father God, help us to look at that 99.5 six percent similarity and say thank you father we get a glimpse just a glimpse we get a glimpse of who you are and we praise you for it in jesus name amen 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 well thanks for listening this is life in christ podcast if you have questions or comments or input of any sort reach out to the landing.church reach out to us by email reach out to us by phone or text we're happy to interact with you and receive your comments Come join us if this is your faith family and your church home. If you have a church home, invest yourself, dive in, become a part of all the ministry that the Lord is doing to proclaim the good news through your church home. If you don't, find one right away. Don't dismiss or despise what the Lord Jesus Christ died to preserve and loves with an infinite love. If you love Jesus, love his bride as well. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Life in Christ. This podcast is a ministry of The Landing Church in Duluth, Minnesota. For more resources or information about The Landing, visit www.thelanding.church.